1: This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. My guest is Jason Minadakis, the artistic director of Marin Theater Company, which has had a long and hard road through the past couple of years of pandemic. Jason is currently in his 15th year as artistic director, and previously was the Artistic Director of Actors Express Theatre Company in Atlanta. He has directed dozens of plays in the past, both at Marin and other theatre companies. He is currently directing The Sound Inside by Adam Rapp, which is running May 26th through June 19th, 2022. This interview was recorded outdoors in the patio of Marin Theatre following a negative COVID rapid test. Jason Minidakis, we will get to the sound inside in a few minutes, but first I want to talk about the pandemic. So the pandemic begins to happen, and you're about to open the show.
0: Yeah, in March 2020, we were opening in that first week of March a new play by Kate Cortese called Love, and the play opened on Tuesday, and then Wednesday we had one public performance after opening and then thursday we didn't have a performance just because of how everything was starting to close down and the order had already come down that things were going to have to close that weekend and so we did a three-camera film on friday
1: and saturday of the play with no audiences Uh, quick question about that i mean you need director you need editor you need all of that stuff how did that come together because you were the first people to even do something like that
0: well you know we didn't have any of that we literally set three cameras up we ran the play two different times uh in its entirety and then uh, our graphic designer at the time jeff berlin went back in and edited the film and both kate and our director mike donahue had input on which pieces we were going to use and so we edited it together we reshaped some things it took a little bit of time but we were able to still uh, release the video for four weeks and we were able to have people see it all around the country and because it was the early days of everybody being locked down i think people were more willing to purchase theater and and to take a chance on things what about actors equity you know they were very quick to to okay the arrangement in terms of what we were able to do. At that point we were already working under the, the agreement that we could we could sell it for two weeks longer than our than our regular run. And so that's how that ended up working out. We we got it ready pretty quickly. It was about two weeks from opening night to when the video was ready for, for
1: and, purchase. and then you kind of regrouped and in the fall, in November what happened?
0: That's when our next digital production happened, and it was a Zoom play that we co-produced with a number of theaters around the country, Layla Buck's American Dream. And it was a play that had been originally staged prior to the pandemic in a small theater, um, but it was about uh, citizenship and people obtaining citizenship in other parts of the world to come to the United States. And prior to the pandemic, it was an unusual play because everybody was on stage in this game show and the, the prize for winning the game show was citizenship into the United States. And then when the pandemic happened and everybody was sort of forced into shutdown, what they did was they redid it as a Zoom play. And each of the contestants that were trying to win the game show were in their own countries. And so it the stakes of it actually went up because people were trying to get out of the their country and get a citizenship into the United States and they were playing a game show to do it. So it was really quite powerful and we actually, the two weeks that we ran it, um, were around the election. So it was very topical and it was, you know, really quite poignant for the time. Um, we were competing with the election, of course, so that, that was a little tricky, but we're really proud of the, of the product and, and the, the statement, I think, that the play made was pretty powerful.
1: Around that time we were still in a position where we weren't burned out by zoom because I saw a couple of things later on and I heard zoom and I went uh uh-uh. <laughs> yeah it's true it's true it was early so yeah. so okay so at that point where was Marin in terms of the finances because now we're running on 678 months and you've had one show That was a success and one that wasn't. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, we were doing okay at that point. The donor base for the company
0: really stepped up and and helped the organization stay fluid. And the grant programs were starting to happen at that point as well. We were lucky that in May of 2020, so we were two months into the pandemic at that point, I had a conversation with Lauren Gunderson, who was our playwright in residence, and with Denmo Ibrahim, who is uh, an artist here in Mill Valley who had worked with us a couple of times at that point. And I I basically said to them, you know, we need to create new work. And, you know, we wanted to stay very mission-based. So part of what we were talking about was, you know, what could we create with them in this pandemic that would be new writing, that would be relevant writing, could be something that we could make without necessarily being in front of a live audience. So, you know, in talking to Lauren, what we decided to do was... She happens to be married to a pandemic virologist and he's pretty famous uh, around the world for his work. And she started writing the script in May of 2020. And we started rehearsing in October and started filming in November of 2020. And it was a full length film. And we had 12 theaters present it to their audiences as well. It was seen in all 50 states and in 20 countries around the world. And the name of it? Oh, The Catastrophist. It was about Lauren's husband Nathan and his work in both looking at pandemics and how pandemics start and also looking at what it is to to be someone working on the edge of a field. It was pretty amazing. It got put into the Library of Congress's time capsule uh, on the pandemic. Um, it's pretty neat. It was pretty cool. It was a great experience.
1: I recall at the same time there was also, if you went to the Marin site, there was an audio play as well from, from, by Lauren.
0: We had her version of Natural Shots yeah. that had been recorded and that was available for free on the website. So that was something that we had on offer as well. There was another play that we offered as well. There was a, a festival of, of new work that we eventually offered through the breath project and that was you know following the murder of george floyd um artists created eight minute and 40 second long pieces right. that, that were their responses to the murder and um the national response to it um, and that was amazing and we continued to work with the breath project over the course of the pandemic and we're still working with it now
1: when the george floyd stuff came down since you were not actually doing plays i guess it didn't influence you the way it did some other companies that were immediately doing plays. Yeah, I think our company's
0: reaction to that was to really look at the way we were producing work and how we were gonna produce work in the future and to to think about creating a more equitable and a more just organization. And uh, it certainly rippled through this organization. I mean, at the time of when the murder occurred, Had we not been in the pandemic, we would have been producing Passover, uh, Antoinette Nwando's piece, (laughs) which we then ended up doing in in January and February of 2022. So it it took two years for us to actually do that play. But, you know, that play is also about the continuing epidemic of murders of, of young black men by the police specifically in our country. And, you know, we didn't, have an immediate artistic response but we knew that play was going to be done and we kept that company together from the June 2020 production that was postponed and that is the company that came in and actually did the play with us the the ensemble of artists that worked with us in in January and February of 2022.
1: Jason Minidakis during the previous few years as I've been following coming here you had a project of doing all 10 of August Wilson's plays is that still somewhere in the back of your mind? Yeah, actually, it's in the front of our mind. <laughs> and we're working on uh,
0: our next uh, August Wilson play right now in terms of working out the details on what it'll be and when it'll be and who it will be with. We're going to partner with another organization, we think, in terms of what our next August Wilson play is going to be in the canon. So uh, that
1: should be something that we've, we're able to talk about pretty soon, we hope. You're not going to mention which play it is at this point? Not yet, not today. <laughs> So August Wilson will be happening next season or the season after?
0: We'll see. Uh, It kind of depends on how the project works out. One of the things that we're doing in in re-emerging and in the productions that we're doing is we're looking for partnerships for a lot of what we're doing, both new plays and other things. You know, And we're working with different organizations in different ways than we've ever done before. We're partnering with some organizations that are within the community and some organizations that are within the region and some organizations that are on the other side of the country. So there's a lot of different things happening to make theater happen, and we're looking for different different ways of creating things. There's a, a partnership happening right now around the next August Wilson production that we'll be doing.
1: Okay, so we're now moving into 2021 and people are starting to get jabs in their arms. At what point... Does Marin Theater Company go, well, let's see what we can do and get started again?
0: You know, our plan was to open in September of 2021 with The Sound Inside, the Adam Rap play um, that we had. And we were three days out from rehearsal. It was a Friday and the Delta variant was really spiking and uh, we had to make a decision. One of the actors that's in the show is from New York and he was already on a plane on his way here uh, when we decided that we weren't going to start rehearsal on Monday and that we were going to pick up the production and move it to the end of the season. So we went from being ready to go uh, opening in mid-September to not opening until mid-November. And the first production that we did was the world premiere of the conclusion of the, the Christmas at Pemberley trilogy with Lauren and Margo. And that production uh, went into rehearsal in early October. And we had a six-week process with that. And then the play opened and had a very successful run in November, December. It's a great show. Thank you. And it was a great way to end... The trilogy. It was also a great way for us to reopen our live space with that play, to give people something that they'd been waiting for, that that had been being created for six or seven years at that point, and that had such a long
1: legacy with this organization. It was great to to reopen that way. And then comes Omicron, and we're back. God knows what. So the next show was canceled, is that right? No, the
0: next show was Passover, and we were supposed to open the last week of January, but because of Omicron, we actually pushed it back. And Omicron was actually on the wane at the end of January, and so we opened uh, the first week of February and ran the play for the entire month of February, hoping that we would get a recovery boom. It wasn't a boom. It was a recovery blip, but uh, it was a phenomenal production. It was a really great production to have as our second one. Um, it was a phenomenal company. And that play ran for the, for the entire entirety of March.
1: No, it didn't. Because during the run,
0: you had a week. Oh, true. That's true. We opened and then we had to uh, postpone a week of performances. And we, we had to shift an actor actually. So we we rehearsed in. We canceled six performances and we rehearsed in a new actor. The performances picked up again and we went ahead and extended for a week so that we could get all the performances in. Was it streamed? It was not. At that point, interestingly enough, Antoinette had changed agents and the new agents didn't know the recording contract that had been made with Spike Lee for the film that was made of the original version of Passover at Steppenwolf that was on Amazon Prime, and they were uncomfortable giving us the rights to stream the new version of Passover, which is what we had done. And so we have a video of it that we've never released. So that's been frustrating, and we hope we'll eventually be
1: able to release it, that we'll get the rights. Quick yes, no question. Was was the change COVID related? No. Now we're moving into the real season because at that point, Hotter Than Egypt, which struck me as kind of the first, even though there had been all these other ones, this is the first real get back into it kind of play.
0: Oh, interesting. Hotter Than Egypt was a co-production with Axe Seattle, and it was our new associate artistic director, Nikisa Etamad's choice in the season, and um, she has a relationship with Yusuf el Gindi and was able to bring that co-production to to the company and it was a one of the, it was a great world premiere co-production the play started up in Seattle and rehearsed in the month of January ran up there in February and then it shifted down here went through a tech process in early March and then opened in March and ran into April it was a great comedy it was a a really interesting one for us to to have as our second world premiere in that, in the reopening. And we were really proud of it and it went really well. We had great response to it, which was incredible.
1: It struck me as it would work as a screenplay. (laughs) Yeah, I think it would. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Denver Center's
0: doing it next year and a couple of theaters in New York are looking at it right now. So hopefully it'll have a very long life and it'll get a lot of productions down the road.
1: Now we move on to The Sound Inside by Adam Rapp, which plays through June 19th, Uh, and this was going to be two years ago, so what brought you to the play? I have been a huge fan of Adam Rapp since I first started
0: reading his early work, and then when he had a production that was called Nocturne that he wrote back in, gosh, 1997, 1998, and... I adored that play and I was the artistic director of the Cincinnati Shakespeare Festival at the time. And we put it in our season as one of our new works that we were doing. And I got to know Adam and we did the second production of that play after its uh, initial production at the Adirondack Theater Festival and the subsequent move to the New York Theater Workshop. And Adam came and saw it and it was a really great piece. And I followed his career and, and kept up with his writing throughout the years. And when the sound inside, when I, when I read it, it felt like a development off of the work that he did with Nocturne. And I fell in love with the play as soon as I read it, and we started chasing the rights. And we got the rights to it prior to the pandemic happening. Um, And so we've been waiting to do the play. (laughs) So
1: was that after the Mary Louise Parker
0: version, New York? Right. Yeah. Williamstown did the world premiere and then it, it moved to Broadway. The version with Mary Louise Parker, she did both of the initial runs, both at Williamstown and on Broadway. And that play closed at the end of January 2020. And then... You know, we acquired the rights sometime later in the year. It may have actually been after the pandemic started that we acquired the rights, but we always sort of thought that that would be the play that we'd start out of the pandemic with, partly because we, you know, we love the play and we thought it'd be good to do a thriller. It's a great piece to be in the theater with because of that thriller aspect of it and because it's two actors working directly with the audience for the majority of the play. And the other thing about it is, with it being a two-person play, we also thought it would be a good way to emerge out of the pandemic because it was a smaller cast. It's a simpler sort of scenic construction. So we thought, you know, it would be a good way for us to, to get started again. And that's what we were planning, starting with it in September of 2021. But it got delayed until May of 2022. <laughs> So, you know, the best laid plans, as we have learned, get nothing but blown up. But it's exciting to finally be working on it after all this time. I've been working on the play for so long now that it's really exciting to finally be in the room with the actors.
1: So the play opens as the main character, the professor, who was played by, you will tell us, is lecturing the audience. Bella Lee Baird,
0: who is a professor of creative writing at Yale University, played by Denmo Ibrahim, she is telling the audience about her life. She she starts kind of taking us on a journey with her, to, and she explains to us the situation that she found herself in a few year a, a few months prior, and she walks us through the setup of what the play is going to be and the fascinating student that she meets who is taking her freshman creative writing class and who he is and and how they get to know each other and then the play on from
1: there. And so then it goes back and forth between her talking and scenes of what happened. Is that kind
0: of it? And in the work that they're creating as well. So the play is a, a fusion of Bella taking us through a story about herself and this student Christopher And then it's also us getting to know their writing through the two of them. And they take turns sharing their writing with us. And there's some twisting and turning and folding that happens of the plot lines and of the stories and things blur together and things get borrowed from other places. And it's really a mystery of what you're actually seeing. And you have to kind of stay with it to see how it fully unfolds and unwraps.
1: What are the themes of the play that drew you
0: to it? Artists creating, I think, is, is a big one. Prior to the pandemic, the play was incredibly impactful to me as an artist and as a look at the creative process. And it's not the acting process or the directing process. It's the writing process. And, you know, we're a work theater, so we're very interested in the writing process. Post-pandemic this play takes on a whole nother resonance because in Bella's artistic life, she comes up against a block and she's not able to create. And part of the play is figuring out what that block is and how and if it will get removed. And so after the pandemic, the play has a whole nother level to it of us going into a shutdown stage and then having to find our way to re-emerge out of it? How are we going to emerge out of it differently than how we went into it? So the play has a whole other level of meaning that it didn't have in its
1: initial incarnations that it's going to be interesting to see what people make of it. But well, from your perspective as the director, understanding that, does that change your direction in some way? Maybe to some degree, not
0: consciously, but I think the way the work resonates and the way the artist deal with the locked part of themselves is definitely different now than how they would have before. Um, I think it's deeper and it has more meaning because it's not just how they're personally locked, but, and how the character is personally locked, but it may open up the actor's experience, not just the character experience, but the actor's experience of going through the pandemic and how that plays into the way they
1: create now. I would think also the protocols that you have to go through. I mean, we're taping this outside because of this, and I still took a test, which, by the way, is negative, and it's over (laughs) there. (laughs) So, I mean, it seems that all of that, In terms of Passover, in terms of Hotter Than Egypt, how do you think all of the rigmarole that people do to get on stage, how does it affect their performances? It's
0: much more exhausting now with everything that we have to do. There's weekly testing. There's constant monitoring of your health. We are rehearsing in the lobby with the doors open so that we can be unmasked as a, as a company. The actors can be unmasked when they're in scene, but then everybody else that's part of the rehearsal process has to be within six feet of the door. And you know we've got all the double doors open and we've got air flowing through and we've got the fans going. So we're much more conscious of health. We try to keep six feet of distance between everybody at all times. So there's a whole new layer of precaution that we're taking in order to do the work. And, you know, the arts are one of the last industries that are sort of keeping the masking mandates in place and everything. And it's partly because if one of us gets ill and tests positive, we have to go into a five-day shutdown. And if we're in rehearsal, we're losing time. If we're in performance, we're going to lose performances. And it's just, there's no other way to do it. And unless you're going to understudy everybody all the time, you're going to have a shutdown period if you don't keep as much health protocol in place. So we're we're being as rigorous as we can. We're being as rigorous as we feel
1: we need to be to try to ensure that we're going to be able to keep all of our rehearsals and all of our performances. And when you go into tech, then suddenly you're in the theater, which creates another
0: issue. Yep. And we'll be masked. You know, everybody will put on masks that's, that are working on the play. They're sitting in the audience and you know, I'll go back to wearing a mask uh, inside and, and the actors will be masked when they're off stage and they'll take their masks on when they go on. And it's it's going to be like this for a while, I think, until these different variants are all you know rearing their heads and it, it's difficult. But if we want to get back to a semblance of what normal is and we want the arts to be a part of our life again, if we're going to do them inside and we're going to try to put people elbow to elbow again, which I think we all want to do. We just have to follow the health protocols and, and make sure that we're
1: all being safe. Getting back to the sound inside, you as director, what are the specific challenges about this play, say, as opposed to some of the other plays you've directed? This one is very similar to Adam's other
0: play, Nocturne, in that the actors are often talking directly to the audience, and there's a suspense and a thriller aspect of both of the plays that it's a lot easier to create that tension and the the suspense when you have multiple actors and it's a bigger scene and there are things that you can do to help manipulate those feelings in the audience when it's one actor it's really their individual performance in the text and the way they communicate with the audience is the driving force in the suspense and and in the the thriller and in the mystery of what's happening so it becomes much more of a less of a directorial thing and more of a, of a real conversation with the actor and exploring how they're performing and making sure that it's not just having that effect on me, but that it's a, it's a wider effect that's going to be read by everybody.
1: Is there any difference in the blocking in terms of that?
0: These sorts of plays are a little, especially with the sound inside, it's very, very still because every single movement that you have has to have a, a, multiple layer reverberation. So it was like this when we when I did Nocturne as well. It was every little movement was really thought out and sculpted so that so that it had real weight to it. And then the actor has to be incredibly disciplined in terms of being economical with their movements and also trusting the language and the performance of the language in such a way that they don't feel they have to add movement in order to, to keep attention. And actually the tension that's built is really based on a lack of movement and then when that's in contrast to actual movement that happened. So it's a different calibration game for sure.
1: When you're re- rehearsing it, are you trying to rehearse it more in sequence because you want to create more of that tension?
0: Yeah for sure because with this play it's only two actors we are definitely rehearsing this continually in order we haven't jumped around a lot the only time we've jumped around is it's been because for echoing effect when something happens in the script that echoes later and you want the you know you want the company to really understand how tied together these two sections are we may rehearse something and then rehearse another piece And then go back, you know, go back and put it in order and then pull it out of order again so that we can really play with those resonances and make sure they're sharp. But for the most part, we rehearse this more in order because the entire cast is here the entire day and we can stay in order where, you know, often when you're working with a bigger cast, you try to group scenes together. So you're working through lines in a way that's different than when you, when you only have two actors in the show.
1: Well, as a director, then before you even sit down with the 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 actors have you kind of in your own mind at least blocked out the order of how you're going to rehearse yeah Uh,
0: every play i when i enter into the rehearsal process i know how i want to rehearse it it's fluid in the sense that as things happen and as we figure out where the trouble spots are, we adjust the timing so that we have more time with with the things that are that are proving di- diffi- more difficult for this specific group of artists that are working on it. But I always have a plan about how I want to work through the play. This one was very definitely working through the text and making sure that the, the actors really understood the flow of the text, and then slowly adding in the movement so that we. We could be very disciplined in how little movement we were going to use and how specific the movement would be as when we finally created it. But there's always a game plan going into the production
1: and it always gets changed as we <laughs>
0: as we go. But.
1: And, and I would gather by your description, without knowing anything about the play, that there is no intermission. It's about 90 minutes.
0: That's absolutely right.
1: Yep, uh, No intermission, <laughs> about 90 minutes. It moves really fast. It's unbelievable
0: the job that Denmo has to do, standing up there in front of the audience and, and delivering so much of this and, and making sure that the, the clues are laid out so that the mystery can be followed and tracked and, and keeping the suspense built. Tyler is doing a great job. He's the actor playing Christopher. He has to come in and out of the world. And, you know, Denmo continues to keep the through line going and he has to jump in at specific moments and fully embody the scene that she's been telling us about, and he just has to walk into it and be ready to go. So they're both doing a lot of really great work right now, and it's gonna be
1: exciting to see the whole thing when it comes together. So we're doing this well in advance, which means you haven't done tech. When you've got a two-person play with all of this going on, it means the lighting becomes really important. How does the lighting flow into a play, a two-hander like this? We're sculpting space
0: with a two-hander especially when there's so much direct conversation with the audience there's a lot of making sure that the different moments that have to resonate with each other look similar and have a certain feel so that even if the audience doesn't necessarily catch that this is an echo of that moment the lighting is suggesting that as well as what the actors are doing their physicality the way they're using the language we try to help the audience with clues that they get and clues that they don't get that just that just sit on them and help them understand where we are. So the lighting is incredibly important in this piece. We've got a lot of side lighting and a lot of sculpting that happens. There's again, very little movement. So physical movement in the actors. So the actual movement of the lights has to tell a lot of the story as well. Right, yeah. And the way the light moves across the actor and with the actor over the course of a of a speech or a, a, a section of the play is really critically important and has to be really thought out and detailed.
1: That reminds me a lot of the video of the Catastrophist, which did the same thing. Yep, absolutely. Jason Minidakis. So when this finishes its run on june 19th or june 26th if it's extended you're off for the summer when do you start up again as of right now when we're recording this the next season is not there is the first show at least ready we know what it is it's going to be a co-production not a co-production but a partnership with Tam high
0: the high school that's here in Mill Valley up the street from us. They've got a great drama program, amazing students. And we are going to actually be doing a play where we are doing a play that is a continuation of a Shakespeare story. The high school is actually going to be staging the Shakespeare play itself. And then a number of the students are going to be in our production. We have a a number of great Bay Area actors that are going to be in the show as well. And so there's going to be a classic Shakespeare play playing at the high school, and then we're going to be doing a continuation story of it. So it should be a really exciting way for our community to kind of get back into theater. You can go see part one at uh, the high school and then part two here, although the two pieces are individual as well. You don't have to see them both. Everybody's going to know the story that we're doing. So the part two, everybody's seen the Shakespeare play already. So it should be a lot of fun. It's a contemporary play and we'll hopefully be announcing it
1: very soon. You've been listening to an interview with Jason Minodakis, Artistic Director of Marin Theater Company in Mill Valley, California. The Sound Inside, which he is directing, runs through June 19, 2022. For more information on Marin Theater Company, go to marintheater.org. Feedback on this and other Radio Wolinsky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com. And feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.